Today's guest is very near and dear to my own heart, and as you listen to this episode, you're going to find out why. Laura Tates is my guest today, and she is a certified health coach, practitioner of NLP, timeline therapy, and a registered hypnotherapist. After a lifetime of food and diet worries, she finally discovered why every attempt to get healthy or lose the weight for good was not only getting harder and harder, but actually was the cause of her overeating and emotional eating. Today, her passion is to liberate women from the emotional weight of believing they have failed at dieting and cannot control themselves around food and guide women to find authentic health, happiness, and comfort in their own body without the obsession. Laura lives near Vancouver, BC and serves clients all over the world. And when she's not busy dismantling diet culture, she enjoys yoga, motocross, and a good waffle cone. Oh my goodness, she is speaking my language right now. So I'm very excited to have Laura on the show. Laura, as I mentioned, is a practitioner of NLP, timeline therapy, and hypnotherapy. And she, um, I had the pleasure of training Laura, and I can say that she's absolutely brilliant at what she does. So if you have ever struggled with dieting, weight loss, food obsession, body image, any of the above, this episode is for you. You're listening to The Empowered Life with master coach and trainer of NLP, Terry Holland. Breakthrough to the life you deserve. Hey, Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Terry. I am so excited to chat with you about this topic because this is something that has been near and dear to my heart coming from the health and fitness industry and then transforming into what I do now. And so every time I, I see your stuff and especially how you've evolved your business recently, it's, um, I get really excited about what you're doing. So thank I'm you excited. so much. Yeah. So let's, let's just start with a bit about, I guess your story. I know you have a really compelling story about what drew you into this line of work to begin with. So why don't we start there? Absolutely. Um, I think my story is one that a lot of us have. Um, I kind of started my career on the whole dieting and hitting my body train before I was 10 years old, um, which they say now is actually pretty average, um, as, as sad as that is. So um, yeah, when I was 10 years old, I decided my body just it didn't look right. I had to do something about it. Um, you know, I got these messages from from all over, from media, from friends, from family, from, from really just watching and observing um, how adults were interacting in my world with, with food and, and with their bodies. Um, and that kind of went on for, I guess from when I was 10 till, you know, when I was like about 33 years old, I went through every single fad you could possibly imagine um, juice cleanses, <laughs> um, like diet supplements, um, ephedrine by mail order. When I was like, when I finally got to university and got my own address, I was like, I can order diet pills. Like, and it was just this constant, um, this constant obsession and thing that hung over my head um, all the time. And several, you know, times throughout that period, I recognize now that my my eating really was very disordered. Um, but because I was living in a larger body or, um, you know, kind of a, a body that didn't have this stereotypical disordered eating look, uh, nobody was ever very concerned about the behaviors that I was, I was doing um, in the name of, I would say, health, um, but really shrinking my body to conform to society's expectations and thinking that living in a smaller body would make me feel happy and everything would be, would be fixed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that kind of went on for um, the, the majority of my life swinging between really restricting my food and trying to be good and be healthy and then, you know, breaking down by the weekend and just going crazy and saying, screw it, let's start on Monday. Um, that's a cycle that a lot of us are stuck in, whether we're consciously thinking we're dieting or not. You know, we might just be trying to eat clean or trying to avoid carbs. And we don't think it's a diet, but those thoughts still are restrictive patterns of eating. So I kind of finally hit diet bottom um, a couple of years ago, and my body got to the point where it was just so exhausted. Um, I burnt out my adrenal glands, which produced a stress hormone that was just so high all the time, not only from being physically restricted from food and then the resulting like 
binge eating and the emotional stress and turmoil that comes with all of that, um, that I just hit bottom and I knew that I couldn't continue doing this and I could not continue to perpetuate doing this with, with other people as, as a health practitioner. Um, and it became so clear to me how caught up I was in diet culture that I was like a fish in water. I didn't know. I didn't know. And, and most health practitioners um, are, are, are the same way. We don't realize that suggesting and recommending these really sort of disordered eating habits are, are harming people in the long run. Um, and now we know that there's a, there's a lot of significant evidence that, that proves that, that that's so. So that's kind of my story and how I ended up finally finding intuitive eating and getting out of this crazy cycle. Yeah. That's, you know, listening to your story, it's, um, it's, I hear so much of my own story in there and I'm sure there are many people listening who are feeling the exact same way that they're listening to that and thinking, well, that's me. That's because I see that trend in myself of where it started as a young girl to all the yo-yo dieting. And then for me, it was eventually fitness competitions was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, where it's, uh, you know, and I, I think of it as a pendulum. You swing too far one way, your body's trying to find balance. So it's going to swing back the other way. And, and then how do you find that, that's that space in the middle where the body can return to health. So intuitive eating, can you explain what that is? Because it's kind of a new concept. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So intuitive eating, well, it does sound like a new concept, or maybe it's a term that we're not familiar with, um, is actually, in the absence of dieting, is actually should just be called eating. Um, when, <laughs> right, is eating. when we are born, for example, we have natural regulation mechanisms in our body to tell us when we need to eat, what we need to eat, and how much to eat. And what happens is as we're, as we're babies, we do that flawlessly, right? We know babies cry. They understand how to get their needs met. Um, babies don't overeat. They often have ideas of when and how much to eat that don't match with what the caregivers want, like eating in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, but they have that built-in mechanism to do that. And this often lasts like well through childhood. Um, you'll see children kind of eat erratically or they eat a lot one day and nothing the next day or they leave cake on their plate. Like they left cake on their plate. Come on. We don't, as adults, how often do we do that? <laughs> Ever. So they are in touch with their body's innate signals for hunger and fullness and satisfaction. And they haven't yet learned to try to manipulate and override those to fit society's expectations or to kind of manipulate their food intake for any reason. Um, And in doing that, they're able to create an energy balance where the body is getting what it needs um, in terms of nutrition and in terms of energy. And once we get older, and we start learning, oh, you got to finish your plate or, um, oh, you know, we're only allowed to have desserts on certain days or um, sweets are a reward. We start to kind of absorb all of these external food rules and turn away from our natural intuition. So intuitive eating um, is a proven and evidence-based framework that approaches eating from a way of self-care which is meeting your body's needs. So listening to your body's needs and meeting them as opposed to um, feeding yourself and taking care of yourself based on external cues like dieting and different sorts of plans, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So for, you know, I know for myself, when I sort of broke out of the whole dieting world, my next thought was, well, what do I eat? Like as soon as I didn't have a plan to follow, I went to what do I eat? And I found myself the next day in a bookstore looking for a diet plan that would fix all the damage I had done because I really didn't know what to eat. So what about if you're coming from a place of that where you're so disconnected from food and your relationship to food is so effed up, where do you start? How do you start to eat intuitively again? That's a really good question, Terry. And that's probably the number one fear that people have when they learn about intuitive eating is that they're going to intuitively eat 
hot Doritos for the rest of their life. Um, and I'm not going to be healthy. And all of these fears come up and that's completely normal. A lot of the work of becoming an intuitive eater is, is actually the mindset and um, finding those pieces of uh, diet mentality that are still there that are bringing up those fears. Mm-hmm. So in terms of um, finding let's call it a balance between making sure that you're getting nutrition, but honoring what your body wants as well. It's really an exploratory journey of what makes your body feel good. So that's part of honoring your body when you're eating. Um, What gives you energy? What keeps you full and sustained until the next meal? So it's about finding what works best for your body. And often that requires some experimentation. So For example, um, I was really terrified of gluten, okay? I thought it was um, something that nobody could tolerate. It was this evil thing. Um, Anytime I would break down on my diets and eat it, I would feel horrible after. And this was evidence to me that it was just this awful thing. Um, When I started with intuitive eating, and part of the process is making peace with food and examining your forbidden foods, examining the foods that you've restricted, which tends to be the ones that you end up binging on (laughs) when you fall off your wagon Um, and kind of reintroducing them one at a time and really looking at what is really my relationship with this food. And it was so interesting because what I found was that once I had that unconditional permission to eat foods with gluten in it, and I sat and I ate it mindfully and I didn't feel the feelings of shame and guilt and anxiety that I would have when I was eating it when it was still forbidden, like when I was like being bad. My digestion changed so much because when you eat in a state of stress, right, your blood is actually diverted away from your digestive system and you can experience indigestion, gas, pain, bloating because your body's in fight or flight mode. It doesn't care about digesting it is stressed out and it can do that just based on what you were thinking as you know how powerful our thoughts are right totally yeah so i like to have clients really focus on what feels best for their body and it can be a trial and error um, kind of kind of scenario as well and usually focusing on nutrition and healthy choices comes towards the end of my programs because it's so important that the intentions of how we're selecting foods are coming from intuition and not still from any pieces of uh, diet culture. Cool. I, I love this. I love all of it. And I love that you mentioned like when you were being bad, because I think that's a huge part of it is we start labeling food as good or bad and put this whole morality around food. And that's where I think we, you know, leads to shame and feeling, feeling bad about our choices and right. Like it's, it becomes this whole snowball of negative emotions and beating ourselves up. And that just feeds into more, more of the same behavior. Definitely. And it can turn from, you know, having one bite of say a chocolate bar. And when you're feeling that stress and anxiety and shame, you're kind of eating it as fast as you can to like pretend it's not happening. So not only do you not enjoy it, you don't digest it well, you end up eating more because it's not a satisfying or pleasurable eating experience. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And that was something when I was still in personal training, it's something that I started, um, I started exploring with my clients that the less I told them what to eat, And the more I just guided them to make their own choices and to feel good about their choices, the better results they got in the long run. And it was like one of the things I would talk about with my clients is, you know, getting away from the cheat meal mentality of, because it's not like we talk about the word cheat. It's not okay to cheat on a test. It's not okay to cheat on your spouse. It's not okay to cheat on your taxes. So why would it be okay to cheat on your body? Like that, that language automatically puts it in a negative frame. Yeah, absolutely. And so instead we start talking about like eating foods that feel good. And sometimes the thing that's going to feel good is a piece of your mom's apple pie. And that feeding your soul is just as important as feeding your body. And so it sounds like that's kind of like where this is all going towards. Would that be correct? Is like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, And like you said about not telling, you know, your, your past clients what to eat, um, 
when we have all these external rules coming at us about what to eat, it actually violates our personal boundaries. Our food choices are personal boundaries and we are wired to rebel when those boundaries are crossed. Even if we're crossing them like ourselves by saying, you know, okay, now I read that, you know, gluten is the devil, so I'm not going to eat that. That's an external rule that you're internalizing and it violates those boundaries. So we are wired to say, oh, you are not going to tell me what to do. And we all know <laughs> how that ends up, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I always have the picture in my mind of, a, you know, trying to take candy from a baby and they're, as you try to take it away, they're going to hold onto it tighter. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Those you talk about, we put rules on things. We take external rules on. I know for myself recently, and this is, I think why this was so in my mind lately. And I wanted to bring you on the show is I was thinking, you know, I had worked with a nutritionist earlier in the year. It was wonderful. That was great. And then as soon as that was done, I was again in a place of, well, what do I eat? What do I eat? And I had to do a lot of work on myself over the last couple of months to come to a place of, I know what to eat. I can trust my body that I know what to eat. And then I can trust that I can take care of this physical being that I am. And to, and I'm not there yet a hundred percent, but it's been a process over the last couple of months of being like, I don't need to hire someone else to tell me what to eat anymore. I need, if this is going to be a lasting change in my life and I'm going to find health that I feel really good about and live at my optimal performance level, then it has to come from me. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's a, a really good point is that it does have to come from you if it's going to be sustainable. Yeah. So, I mean, what we know is that you can lose weight in almost any way short term, Right. Any diet, you, if you stick to it, you know, you're probably going to lose some weight. You make it about six months, maybe. Um, and that's the evidence that we give ourselves. Well, that worked for me. You know, I lost 20 pounds in, in those six months. So that's evidence that it works. But when we look at the long-term evidence, um, there was one study that was done that was actually a meta study of 31 long-term studies. And what came back is 95% of the time, dieters regain the weight in one to five years and in two thirds of those people more will come back than was lost wow right so we're looking at short-term results that create more harm in the long run and even in those short term in that short term time it's not without risks as well wow can you speak a little bit as to why that happens like what's going on physiologically where a person will gain that weight back and then potentially even more in the long run what what is causing that kind of harm mm -hmm. let's think of it in in this way so um, my background is in biology so i i love studying um, genetics and evolution so i find it easiest to explain it to people this way um, think about our ancestors and how they would have had to endure periods of famine Okay, so there'll be a food scarcity, a famine is coming. So the body will detect that energy consumption has dropped. And it's not going to just sit there and go, okay, we're going to lose two pounds a week until we're nothing and we die. We wouldn't be here. The fact that you and I are sitting here means that our ancestors were actually the best at surviving, were the best at storing fat. Like, thank goodness, right? So what the body does is it compensates turns down the metabolism, makes you feel tired and sluggish, stops you from moving around and burning more calories. Um, it causes you to become preoccupied with food so that you go out and like forage and search for food. So if you've ever been dieting and you can't stop thinking about food, like you're on Pinterest pinning recipes like whole day, um, that's what it does. So there's psychological effects and biological effects as well. So you can lose that weight short term. Um, but generally, at some point, the body, well, always, you can't fight biology. The body starts fighting back. It's fighting literally for your survival. It does not know you have a food, a fridge full of food. It doesn't know there's McDonald's on every corner. It thinks, this is food scarcity. My survival is at stake. Turn everything down. Um, and we can actually affect our metabolic rate much quicker than we think. Um, and then eventually, like, we all get to that point, oh, the diet's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's usually where we get. And then we hit that rock bottom and we start feeling driven 
to binge eat. Mm-hmm. And we blame the food, but the body actually seeks the concentrated sources of calories, like high fat, high sugar items. It's getting the most bang for its buck. So you're probably not going to binge on carrots when your diet's over. You're probably going to go for cheeseburgers or donuts. And the diet industry will, will tell you that this is your fault. It's the only industry that can sell a totally faulty product. And we all think it's our fault. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was me to a T when I stopped competing. I never in my life had I had, had I before that had a binge eating disorder. And then all of a sudden I would find myself, I'd literally be like walking down the mall and it was almost like an out of body experience where I'd see like <laughs> Cinnabon or something and I'd be eating it. And then I'd be at the next place eating something else and something else and something else yeah. until my body got at least as enough whatever enough energy enough of what it needed that I'd snap out of it and I go what did I just eat like I had a cinnamon bun I had a donut I had and it would be this whole stack of food but in that in that time period there was no way to stop myself there was no there was I was completely out of control eating mm-hmm. yeah. and then all the shame and guilt of oh I did it again I failed what's wrong with me why can't I just do better and it was, and it was this vicious cycle and it took a long time to break out of that. Yeah. And it makes total sense. And as you know, behavior is driven by our unconscious mind and that primal drive to overeat, to get the calories back, to get the stored fat back that it knows we used to have because of a hormone called leptin. It knows, it tells your body we've lost body fat, get it back. And it's extremely powerful. It's not a lapse of willpower. It's not a character flaw. It's not a weakness. Mm-hmm. It is something that is truly undeniable. And if you felt it, you, you know how powerful it is. No, yeah, well, absolutely. It, it was like literally like out of my body. I, there yeah. was no, I felt like I had zero control over myself. It was almost like blocking out, except I didn't mm-hmm. block out. I was still yeah. consciously aware of what was going on. Yeah. And it was the, the strangest sensation. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What if you're, so if you're in this place and you're, you know, okay, I want to do, I want to try intuitive eating. I want to get back to eating the way my body innately knows how to eat at some level. And if you're there and at the same time, you still want to lose weight because maybe you're not where you want to be physically or health wise. Is there, is there, can you do both? Like, is there eating intuitively? Will it lead to weight loss in the long run? Will it, does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. That's probably I'm being clear, but yeah, no, you are. You obviously, and that's probably the, one of the number one questions that I get. Um, so first of all, I just want to totally validate whether it's yourself or your listeners, um, desire to lose weight because this is the culture that we live in. We all feel this pressure and that is okay. If that is um, it's something that you desire. Um, some people think, you know, if I want to be an intuitive eater, I have to totally not care about my weight. Um, and, and that's not true. The desire might be there and that's okay. Um, what intuitive eating asks you to do in order to connect back to your own body is just to take that goal for a while and put it on the back burner. Okay. So, I mean, you've been focused on losing weight for this long and you can see how that's not really worked for you then now is the time to say, okay, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to put this on the back burner for now so that the intentions for how I'm trying to, um, to feed my body in a nourishing and caring way are coming from, from myself rather than from, than from my ideas of how my body should look. So I don't ask clients to, you know, forget about it. I just ask them to put it on the back burner while we're working on developing their inner intuitive eater. Um, it's intuitive eating is a weight neutral approach. So it doesn't focus on weight. Um, it doesn't make any promises in terms of weight loss. Um, any program that does, to be quite honest, is that's unethical because the research is not there to support long-term sustainable weight loss. Okay. Um, what can happen depending where your body weight is at the time you might be around the natural kind of range that your body wants to be in, which is largely made up of genetics. I call that our set point. 
you might be higher because recently you've been doing a lot of binge eating or emotional eating or you've been very sedentary for whatever reason. Or you might be lower because you've dieted your way down um, through restriction to a lower weight. So depending where you are when you start your intuitive eating journey, um, you may end up at a different place. Um, but again, I, I can't make any um, guarantees besides saying, let's respect your body, honor your body, put the weight loss goal aside and see what happens when you kind of recorrect, reconnect to your body's needs. That's cool. I like yeah. that. That see, that makes a lot of sense to me. Hearing that, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And and then I guess from that, would it be safe to say that the body will just sort of find its equilibrium of wherever that is? Yeah. So when you give the reins back to your body, we have this natural weight regulation system. Um, and like I, I said before, we our metabolism turns down when we're not getting enough, but it can actually turn up a little bit when we're getting a little too much. So. Once in a while, overeating is completely a normal part of normal eating. Um, It's important that we don't take the concept of intuitive eating to try to turn it into another diet or to, um, you know, turn it into the intuitive eating diet or the hunger and fullness diet or the intuitively eat as little as possible diet. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's important to remember and as well, I always encourage people to, to look at the research um, that shows that dieting is correlated to future weight gain. So a lot of people are saying, well, I still, I still want to lose weight. You know, um, this is the alternative, and this is actually a proven way to help in- increase your health. Um, and intuitive eaters actually have lower BMIs as well. Um, but what your body does is going to be unique to you. Cool. How does exercise factor into that? Is it, is it a part of intuitive eating? Is it just sort of separate? Like how does that factor in? Yeah. So I would say intuitive eating, um, there's more to it than, than just eating. It really is a way of living. Right. Um, and yeah, I, physical fitness is actually probably a bigger component of health even than nutrition. Um, we've just, Diet culture wants us to believe that it's, you know, salvation or death on every forkful that's easier to sell you. Um, So moving in an intuitive way also is a part of developing this intuitive lifestyle. So that means moving in a way that is enjoyable to you, that feels good in your body, honoring when your body is tired, right? So not, not no pain, no gain kind of thing. Um, and, and just kind of, again, connecting back to what your body, you know, enjoys, wants to do, um, and what makes you feel really good because those habits are going to be the ones that are sustainable. Cool. Now, because I happen to know that you're an NLP practitioner and hypnotherapist, Mm -hmm. Laura attended one of my trainings. So, um, yeah. How are you using that? Just, I'm curious for my own. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Terry, I can't even tell you. Um, I think I've said this a couple of times so far, but learning to figure out um, where diet culture mentality has a hold on you is probably the biggest piece. A lot of people struggle a lot in the beginning because they think that they're not dieting anymore, but they are. And when I speak with people, understanding how to, um, construct their model of the world so I can see what we're working with and discovering their limiting uh, decisions is probably the biggest thing that I do. That is really the meat of the work in taking this basically entire worldview and dumping it for something else. Um, And people will spin their wheels there for a long time if they can't uncover those, those limiting decisions that are still operating. Oh, for sure. For sure. So when you're working with your clients, can you walk us through a little bit about what your process looks like? So for maybe anyone who's listening and they're thinking, this is something that I want to do. What is, what is the process like? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, So I usually first kind of meet up with people. Usually they find me on social media um, and then I offer a free breakthrough call. So that's usually the first time that we speak um, one-on-one. Um, and kind of in that call, we spend a lot of time, um, 
looking at what is getting in the way where they are now versus the relationship with food and body that they want to have. So we spend quite a bit of time working on some of those limiting decisions and the obstacles and what they need to move from point A to point B. Um, and then at the end of the call, if it seems like um, they're a good fit for one of my programs, um, what do we determine on the call? Then I'll tell them a little bit more about how they can work with me as a coach, um, or I'll point them to some resources if that looks like a better fit, or make a referral to another practitioner if it seems like there would be a better fit elsewhere. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds really good. And what are the what can a person expect through working with you in terms of results? Mm-hmm. Results is kind of a loaded word because we think about results as like black and white, like I lost 20 pounds, you know, things like that. Um, generally what clients will say at the end of working with me is that they experience um, way less um, anxiety um, around food, kind of the incessant mental chatter in their mind. Um, they feel like they have um, so much more mental space and time freed up to do the things that are really important to them. Um, often they will connect with um, old friends or hobbies or things that they had stopped doing because this area had kind of formed this black cloud over their life. Wow. Um, often they see improvements in relationships with other people, um, getting their needs met, setting boundaries. Um, many of them will say that they're much more confident in the food choices that they're making um, and that they just have this sense of sort of inner peace um, around food and, and body and um, much better sense of, of confidence um, in terms of, of them, how they feel about themselves. Amazing. And what's so interesting in hearing you talk about that is that when people start dieting in the first place, those are probably exactly the things that they're looking for, right? Like they want the socialization, they want the better relationships, they think they're going to feel better, they think they're going to have more confidence. And it's really doing the opposite. And it comes back around full circle. When they start eating intuitively, they find those things they've been looking for all along. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of people are um, stopping themselves from having all the things that they want. And the only reason that they can't have them is the reasons that they're telling themselves that they believe they only um, deserve that when their body looks a certain way. Um, so moving past that is, is quite incredible because you can make that change quickly and you know, you can start living your life the way you want to live without always um, waiting for the future you to show up and, and life to begin. Totally. I remember I used to think that way where I would think like, when I lose 10 pounds, I'll feel better. When, uh, when I reach a certain weight, we'll go on a vacation. And I can't go on vacation looking like this because I won't dare put on a swimsuit and go on a beach. And would literally like cover up in the summer, it'd be a hot day like today. And I would have a sweater over top of my clothes because I'd be like, I can't show my arms as if somehow someone seeing my arms would be so like, mortally offended that people would like drop dead on the street by seeing my arms the way they were. But how yeah. dare I dress to be comfortable and cool and in a way that I feel confident. That's right. And yeah. Like, and that's, that's uncomfortable. And most of us, the number one thing that I hear when I've done like market research from, from women about well, what they want, they say, I want to feel comfortable in my own body. And the truth is you're never going to feel comfortable in a body that you think is temporary. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I read that. I'm not going to take credit for that. I'm sure I read that somewhere. Um, but I was just like, yes, yes, yes. This is, you know, this is your body. Um, this is your, your life is happening right now, every day in the body that you have. And that's what intuitive eating really says. It says honor what you have now, live your life now. Um, and healthy behaviors are for anyone at any size. Being healthy is not reserved for people in small bodies. Oh, that's amazing. I, love, I, wish, I wish we'd had this conversation like eight years ago when I was in the thick of it, because it would have saved me years of grief and struggle and trauma. And I've, yeah. I've realized recently that all of that dieting and stuff I did, that that was a trauma, that there was like dieting trauma to my body. Yeah. And until I really dug in at the unconscious level and started to unravel all that stuff, I couldn't move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a trauma. And, you know, when you described um, that out of body experience that you that you had, 
that is your body saying, okay, I mean, we have access to food right now, Terry, but you know, you've been putting us through all these famines. So we need to eat so much food right now to prepare for next time. Our bodies are so smart. And when you grasp this concept that your body is just doing what it needs to, um, to ensure your survival, you can start looking at it a bit differently because most people have the frame that their bodies hate them. Their bodies are trying to sabotage them. Um, their bodies are broken. Their bodies are addicted to these foods. When the fact is that your body is doing everything it can because it wants you to survive. And when you have that, you can reframe it that way. It can really help you have a little bit more compassion for yourself. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. What a great way to look at it, that it's your body's just trying to survive in the best way that it can. Yeah. And that's it. And that takes out the morality that takes out the good and the bad and the shame and all that stuff that we layer on top of it. And it's just trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. And we can, when we can finally get out of survival mode, this is the best part. You can finally step into your power and your purpose because dieting and body worry is the biggest source of distraction for women. I can imagine. I think it was, you posted at some point a stat about how much of a woman's life will be spent dieting or worrying about food. Or, and it was, I don't know if you remember that stat off the top of your head, oh. put you on the spot, but yeah. it, like, I remember reading it and just being blown away at how much of our lives are spent obsessing over this. Yeah. I think it was somewhere like 30 years plus. Yeah. yeah that sounds right. Yeah. And it was like, I'm looking at that and I was like, well, I'm 38. So that's the majority of my life. Really, if I think of it in that context, has been spent obsessing about food and dieting. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and when you, it makes you, it gets me, it makes you kind of feel angry. Yeah. What else could I have done with this time and energy and mental space? Totally. And yeah. I know for me, I know it started with, you know, with my mom watching her dieting and she wouldn't get into the pool with us because she didn't want to be in a swimsuit and seeing her go to, she was in tops. I don't even know if they're still around, but it was a weight loss support group thing. And I'd see her go to her meetings and, and beating herself up because they had a weigh in and, you know, she had cake the night before because it was someone's birthday party or something. Like there was always some struggle and she didn't enjoy going to these meetings, but she'd do it. And then trying in like different fitness programs and all the things that she would do to try to fix her body and change it and transform it. Yeah. And as a little girl, I remember looking at her and being like, well, this is my mom. Like I, you know, we look up to our parents. I love my mom. And then watching her do that to herself. Um, I, I actually can remember the day feeling shame for her. Like when I decided, oh, she must be too fat. Mm-hmm. And then how that then from that moment on impacted how I looked at myself. Yeah. I have the same, the same family history. Um, as you, Terry, and um, yeah, it's extremely. I mean, you, you know, we're in the imprint period at those at those ages, and I mean, how does it feel to a child to hear, "Oh, you look so much like your mom," and then you look at your mom, and your mom hates how she looks? Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, this is this is one of the biggest things I'm finding now. Um, when women come to me, they say, "I have young children, and I don't want my daughters to go through this struggle." Um, and that's often one of, one of the main reasons that they, that they seek help because they, they've kind of seen the path of, the, of destruction um, in their lives. And I, I think this, this really is so, so important um, in, in the way that we're raising our children too. Oh, definitely. And, and you are a mother with two young girls. How does this impact how you raise them around food and, and how you're educating them in that yeah. way? Yeah. I mean, like I said, children are incredible intuitive eaters until they start absorbing these messages. So, I mean, in my home, my home is, is stocked with, um, with, you know, I don't want to say healthy foods, but a variety of different foods, fruits and vegetables. Um, we have play foods too. Like we, you know, I allow all foods, um, and I allow my children freedom to choose. And because there's not a lot of restrictive rules, about foods um, in our house, they don't feel like, oh, I gotta eat all the cookies because we don't normally ever have cookies. Um, and they're not the kids at the party like obsessed with eating the cake and the goodie bags um, because they're not forbidden things to them. So if you, you know, if you tell a child like, 
don't play with that toy. Like, what are they going to think of? They just fixate. And it's the same with food. Um, so there's definitely a whole, there's people that work specifically on um, intuitive eating for families and for children um, as well. But exactly, um, I don't force them to finish their plates. You know, I give them some control over what they're choosing. Um, and just overall, I don't let them see, see me acting in any um, kind of body bashing or, um, you know, stress or obsession about, about food either, because the number one way that they learn is by observing the parents. Oh, absolutely. They, they're just little unconscious sponges and they soak it all in. Yeah, absolutely. Decisions that are outside of their consciousness. They're not even aware of the decision because they're not conscious enough to be aware of it yet. That's right. And this begins to shape their identity. Yes. So I really, with this the younger generation coming up now, I think the more that there is this messaging out there that you're offering, I think we'll see a big difference in the younger generation who's just coming up now. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, and I mean, there's so much work to be done to dismantle this diet culture. Um, and my kids are going to be immersed in it because I can't keep them in the home all the time. Uh, but I can do what I can do um, at home and, and in my own family um, to kind of get out in front of that and then continuing to just advocate for the work that I do kind of on a, on a, on a bigger scale as well. And you have you have a free gift. Do you want to talk about that? I do. Yes. So I have a free guide called three secret hacks to stop eating your feelings. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a catchy title. <laughs> um, but this is the, one of the things that people really describe and everyone describes their sort of opposite side of the pendulum eating differently. So some people will say I overeat. Some people will say I binge eat. Some people will say I emotionally eat. And Emotional eating is probably the number one thing that I hear. Um, so what this guide will do is kind of give you three actionable tips to understand why that behavior might be occurring um, in your life and what you can do to stop it if it is causing a problem for you. And side note, not all emotional eating is bad. Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, we eat cake to celebrate someone's birthday. Are you eating the cake because you're like really hungry after the meal? No, <laughs> so it's a celebration. So that's a form of emotional eating. And sometimes people don't have in the moment any other way to kind of care for themselves or to regulate emotions. So it's important not to judge your eating, but to be curious and see what you can learn from the behaviors that you have um, and go at it that way. Oh, for sure. It was just on a side note. It was my husband's birthday last weekend and I baked him this cake. It was like the first time I've baked a real cake in my life. And I was so proud of this cake. And what was interesting to me was that I felt, I felt so good about eating it. We brought it to his mom's house. We had dinner there. We had the birthday cake. And I was like, this is the best cake. This is so good. And then the next day, we both had another piece. It was still just as good. And it was, I think, the third day. We both went to cut another piece, and it was different. And it's not that the cake had gone bad. It was like, okay, now I'm eating this for a different purpose. Whereas the first time was like, we're celebrating. This is good. I baked this. I'm so excited to try it. And the second day was still a lot of that. And then the third day was like, now this is something different to me. This is no longer about joyful celebration. There's something else going on. And the cake tasted different. Yeah. And so both Greg and I ended up going, you know what? I'm not enjoying this right now. And that was the end of the cake and we were done with it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're kind of tapping into your cues for satiety or satisfaction and it was just not quite there for you and when we're operating under the well you know cakes never coming back again you eat it anyways yeah you ignore it so sure. that's really that's really cool that both of you were able to notice that that it wasn't the cake the cake was the same it was your experience of eating totally and it's like you know not that long ago um i would have ignored those feelings kept eating through it and I don't think the cake would have survived three days in the past. Like it would have been like, I'm going to have a piece now and an hour or so later, I'm going to go back for another piece and it's still sitting on my counter. I better eat it. I've got to eat it. And I'd fixate on it until it was gone. Yeah. And so very different this time. And then having this experience of being like, this tasted so good. And I love this so much before. And now I'm done with it. I'm eating it for a reason that's not serving me. Yeah. Absolutely. Really 
Yeah. And there's people that are, have been on and off the diet roller coaster for so long, even when we say to ourselves, you know, no more cake. So if you had said to yourself, you know, not having any more cake, you can actually kick off the biological mechanism of like, you know, wanting to get it in while it's there because, you know, food might be scarce again, just by that. We call that mentally restricting. Right. So the mindset that you have is what helped you connect to your intuition and say, no, like, I don't, I actually don't really want this. For sure. For sure. Very cool. Well, I think, um, your free gift or opt-in, can you say the name again? Cause I want to watch it. <laughs> it's called three secret hacks to stop eating your feelings. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a great offering and I know I'm going to download it myself Please. and I encourage everyone to download that because what an amazing, amazing thing. Um, and then how do people work with you? You, I know you have a program that's launching soon. Can you tell us that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my signature program is called the shift method and it's a 12 week, um, intensive, uh, group coaching program. Um, and what I do is I help women like we've been talking about today, make peace with food, um, and develop that trust and the comfort in their own bodies. That is truly what they're craving. Um, so in this program, the clients learn how to make the necessary mindset changes that we talked about, how to reject diet culture, how to figure out where it's taking hold in your life and how to really shift to this new paradigm that we've been talking about today. Um, how to develop intuition and connect back to your body's signals, um, and essentially becoming the boss of what, when, and how much you eat. Um, and that program is online. Um, it will be coming, launching probably. I will start launching in early to mid September after the back to school rush. Um, and if you're interested in getting on the wait list or chatting with me before then to see if it might be a good fit for you, um, then I do offer a complimentary 45 minute breakthrough call and you'll receive the link to that if you sign up for my opt-in. Perfect. Perfect. And where can they connect with you on social media? How's the, what's the best way to connect with you? I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So whatever you like better, um, on Facebook, I am at Laura Tate's coaching T E T Z, uh, is my last name. Um, and on Facebook, um, at Laura Tate's. So just my name. Perfect. I'll post all of those links below so that you can click on the show notes and find all of them there. And if you had one piece of advice that you could offer the listeners right now, something they could do starting today to help tap into their intuition and start doing this now, what would that thing be? Mm, That's a great question. Uh, The number one thing that I would say is to eat when you're hungry, Mm. pushing off hunger, tricking hunger with water, going for a walk when you're (laughs) hungry, doing all these things we try to do. Um, You know, we think it's, you know, a moral virtue or a win to go to bed hungry start building your body's trust in it, um, in you. So when you feel hungry, ask yourself, what would feel really good to have right now? Take that food, sit down, enjoy it and move on with your day. That's a great piece of advice. I really like that. And it's, it's funny, as you were saying that, I remember a coach telling me in the past years ago, uh, Terry, no one's ever died of hunger, you know, I was like, no, they actually have died of hunger. I mean, that's a problem. I know I totally bought into it and I was like, right, I should be hungry and I deserve to be hungry. And this is a good thing. But thinking back, that was absurd. No one's ever died of hunger. People die of hunger every day. Yeah. It's a basic human need, right? I mean, it's on the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we have these women walking around everywhere that are hungry how do you think they're performing in other areas of their life? Are they fulfilling their power and their purpose in life? Being hungry and obsessing about how many calories are in a veggie stick? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, that's no. right. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those of you who are looking to perform at a higher level in any aspect of life, then this is really something to look into and to connect with Laura on that. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was amazing. I learned a lot from you and I continue to learn from you on your social media. I love all your feeds. Thanks, Terry. This was really fun.
Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for being um, so brave and forthcoming with sharing your story because we need women to speak up and share. We need to share our, our diet trauma, like you called it. Um, when we share and we can connect with these experiences with other, uh, other women, it takes the shame away. Um, a lot of us feel like we're the only ones who are going through this and we're the only ones that can't stop eating potato chips. Um, so it's really powerful to build communities where we can support each other in moving on from this. Oh, thank you. It's, I agree with you a hundred percent. And it, it took me a long time to start talking about it because of course coming from the fitness industry in that world, it was like, don't talk about it. Just look skinny, look fit. Don't talk about how you got there. Don't talk about your struggles. Or if you do, it's in a like, oh my God, I would die for peanut butter right now. Oh, but I'm so strong. I'm not going to eat it, but I'm going to go home and binge on it later. But no one can know about it because I have to maintain this image, this perfect person. And it's, um, it's so messed up. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And it took me a long time to be able to talk about this stuff openly. Yeah. And I find the more I do, the more I hear about other women's stories and they go, yeah, you know what? I did the same thing or I did this, or I did the cabbage soup diet for years off and on. And this happened to me or whatever, whatever it was, we're, you know, none of us seem to escape it. Yeah. People always think that I'm reading their minds when I talk to them and I, and I say, well, you feeling like this, are you feeling like this? And I go, Hey, this is, this is a live, a common lived experience. Right. So yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) And uh, I look forward to having you back again. Great. Thanks, Terry. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm going to try something brand new. When you go to the show notes, you're going to find Laura's links to download her free gift. You're going to find her website and there's a brand new link I'm adding into the show notes and that is to leave a voice message. So if you have any questions for Laura, any questions about this topic or if this resonated with you and you want to share from your own personal story, I invite you to leave a voice message. And then what I'm planning to do is we'll play those back on another episode. And if you have questions, um, I'll have Laura back to answer your questions about health and intuitive eating and, um, and any of the stuff that we discussed. So I'm really excited to add that element into the show. So please take advantage of that, leave a message and, and we'll be addressing those in another episode, which I think would be really cool and kind of makes it interactive, even though it's not totally live, it's still kind of interactive and fun. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave your five-star iTunes review and share it with a friend. If you, oh my goodness, if you have friends who you know, you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, oh my goodness, my friend has experienced this or my sister or my mother or whoever, please share this episode with the people you love and care about. Because I think that what Laura is doing is so super important. And it's really important that we change how we talk about our bodies, how we talk about nutrition, how we view all of these things. And we and diet culture once and for all. So please share it, leave your five-star review, and leave us a voice message so that we can answer any questions you may have. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I hope you have a fantastic day.